Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Employment Law Podcast brought to you by the lawyers at EI Legal. We do this as a weekly podcast um, aimed at HR professionals, in-house counsel, and anyone with uh, an interest in employment law. My name is Simon Obi. I'm the principal lawyer at EI Legal, and I'm joined, as ever, by um, Ahana Lakia and Antonia Randalls, who are lawyers in, um, in uh, the employment team here. Um, everything we talk about is, is, of course, general in nature. And if you need advice on a specific circumstance, please um, do uh, get in touch um, or seek other professional advice. Sometimes we talk about a particular case or, or change in the law that has arisen. Sometimes we just talk about a general um, legal area. and. Uh, last week, we spoke about general protections and adverse action um, in the context of uh, workplace rights. Today, we're going to continue um, uh, with our, our exploration of general protections and, and this week talk about discrimination and some of the other um, lesser known general protections that are contained in the um, Fair Work Act. So I'll um, I'll hand over to um, Antonia to um, get things going. Thank you, Simon, and thank you everybody for joining us for part two of our general protections uh, adventures. So as Simon mentioned, we spoke a little bit last week about adverse action on the basis of somebody exercising a workplace right. Uh, we talked a little bit about all the different types of adverse action. Um, we mentioned that it's not just necessarily uh, about employers taking adverse action against employees. Uh, and we talked about the various uh, types of adverse action that someone can take, uh, including things like dismissal, uh, injuring someone in their employment, uh, etc. So this week, what we thought we would do is sort of carry on that conversation around adverse action and talk about it in the context of the protection at Section 351 against discrimination. So the protection at 351 states that you cannot take adverse action uh, on the basis of discriminatory grounds. So these discriminatory grounds are listed at section 351 and include race, colour, sex, sexual preference, age, physical or mental disability, marital status, family or carers responsibilities, pregnancy, religion, political opinion, national extraction or social origin. So you are prohibited under section 351 against taking adverse action against somebody on these grounds. So we'll talk a little bit more about that today. Uh, there are also some exceptions to that. Uh, does anybody have anything more to mention around those uh, protected attributes before we go into the exceptions? Yeah, I guess the only thing um, I'd, I'd point out is is that list, um, you know, doesn't include some things which are um, prohibited under different sort of state um, discrimination laws. But I think we'll we'll come on to that when we talk about the the exceptions to um, to the uh, 
to the discrimination grounds under under 351. Yeah, Simon, do you want to talk about that that first exception um, that deals with the um, laws in in other states or the the other um, or Hahana, you're waving at me. You're going to go through that. <laughs> um, I just thought before Simon goes through the exceptions, I might just add to what you said before. Um, the protection under Section 351 is against not taking adverse action against an employee or a prospective employee um, on the basis of, you know, all those factors that you listed below. So the, I guess, scope of conduct in employment is quite broad. So um, I thought it would be important to mention that this would include sort of discrimination in the recruitment process, um, such as an advertising, interviewing, and actually selecting an employee. It can include discrimination in the terms and conditions of employment. Um, it can include discrimination when you're promoting someone or um, you know giving someone a raise, um, and it can also include discrimination in the dismissal of um, someone's employment and also any disciplinary process that are carried out. So it's quite broad. It's not just um, adverse action when, you know, terminating someone um, or terminating an employee. It can, it can also include adverse action against a prospective employee. And it surprisingly comes up quite a lot in the recruitment process. So it's important to sort of be careful in the wording you use when you're advertising for roles. So I thought it was a good point to raise, but um, I'll hand over to you, Simon, to discuss the exceptions. Yeah, thanks, Ahana. So, yeah, good good, good points. Um, uh, so, yeah, so uh, as Antonia said, the, 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 the Fair, Work, Fair Work Act prohibits discrimination on those, those grounds that she, um, that she listed, but there's a number of exceptions to, to the um, prohibition, if you like. And the first is that it's not unlawful to discriminate against an employee or a prospective employee under general protections law where um, it wouldn't be unlawful under any anti-discrimination law in the place where the action is taken. So just to sort of unpack that a bit, there is, is um, a whole raft of um, other discrimination law in Australia, Fe federal um, discrimination laws such as the Sex Discrimination Act um, um, and also, um, you know, acts dealing with sort of age discrimination, race discrimination, disability discrimination, and there's federal and state acts. And those, um, those acts will... Um, prohibit some types of discrimination and, and not others, and they vary from, from state to state. And what the general protections um, provisions in the Fair Work Act say is, if you're in a state, if you're in New South Wales, for example, and the, um, the, the law in, in that state, be it the, the state law or the federal law that will apply to you as well, if, if that says that a particular um, act or behaviour is not um, discrimination, is not unlawful discrimination, then it, it also won't be discrimination um, under the general protections um, legislation. So, for example, although um, the general protections uh, legislation refers to 
um, it being unla unlawful to take um, adverse action on the basis of sex. There is also the um, uh, the Sex Discrimination Act 1984, which, which is the federal um, um, legislation dealing with sex discrimination. And that itself contains a number of exemptions or exceptions to, um, to discrimination. Um, for example, it says that employers can in some circumstances take special, what are called special measures, which um, include um, taking affirmative action, say, to employ more women in, in a workplace, that's an exception to unlawful discrimination that is allowed in, in some circumstances. There's also um, an exemption under the Sex Discrimination Act for um, sex discrimination where it is a genuine occupational requirement of the role. So there are some roles where it would be um, important that uh, only a man or only a, a woman is is in, employed. For example, I suppose um, I don't know what would be a good example. Uh, a security guard who, who was responsible for searching um, females. You know, maybe you would need a, a a female to do that role. That that is is a lawful um, exception. And there's also an exception for. Um, particular rights and privileges which are enjoyed because of pregnancy or, or childbirth, which, which non-pregnant or non-people who aren't giving birth aren't, aren't entitled to. So those are exceptions under the Federal Act, um, which mean discrimination is not, sex discrimination is not unlawful in those circumstances. Because they exist under the Federal Act, they um, also are, are read to um, to apply to the general protections as well. Um, so th that is the first point to note, I suppose. The, the second point to note is where um, in a particular state there, is, um, uh, there, there isn't um, a law against a particular type of discrimination that is listed in the General Protections Act, uh, it is taken not to apply in that state. So for example, in New South Wales and South Australia, there is no, um, there is no state's uh, legislation which says it is unlawful to discriminate on the grounds of religion or political opinion. Um, whereas in the other states, there are state legislation which makes that discrimination unlawful. That means that although in section 351 of the Fair Work Act, it says you cannot take adverse action on the grounds of religion or political opinion, but employees in New South Wales and South Australia, they, uh, they don't get the benefit of that under section 351 of the Fair Work Act. And, and the Fair Work Act is read to exclude um, discrimination on those grounds in in those states. Simon, I seem to remember that being an issue with the Israel Folau case. Was was that uh, what happened? Is that how it played out? Yeah, so that's that that that's right. So is, Israel Folau um, wanted to allege that um, he had been um, uh, dismissed on the grounds of 
of, of religion and expressing his religious views. In New South Wales, that is not um, against the law. There is no New South Wales um, legislation which prevents discrimination on the grounds of um, religion or, or political opinion. So um, he, he wasn't able to bring his claim either through the New South Wales legislation or through um, Section 351 of, of the, um, the Fair Work Act. He wasn't able to bring um, a general protections claim. There is, however, one exception to the exception, if you like, which is uh, um, a provision, um, I think, uh, at um, Section 772 or thereabouts of, of the Fair Work Act, which says um, if someone is, is dismissed, there's protection for unlawful termination if they are dismissed on the grounds of religion or political opinion. And that applies to um, all employees in Australia. Um, so that, it, that is, as, is, a, is a discrete rule which was introduced in the Fair Work Act to make sure that Australia complied with various um, international treaties. So even employees in New South Wales and South Australia are allowed to invoke this, this separate unlawful termination provision in the Fair Work Act if they're dismissed on religious or, or, or political opinion grounds. Um, but that, that only, only operates in respect of termination of employment. It wouldn't um, protect them in terms of other types of adverse actions such as you know, demotion or, or or, or um, being um, treated unfavorably in the workplace in general. That is a very kind of uh, complicated and uh, uh, sort of esoteric aspect of, of the Fair Work Act. So I hope that makes some vague sort of sense. Um, yeah, and I, th I think I, I also remember the lawyers, um, Israel Folau's lawyers actually had a sort of last minute change to make sure that they were actually bringing the claim under the correct section. So it is complex and people definitely do struggle and even lawyers um, in the moment struggle to uh, understand that concept. So absolutely no judgment if it takes a while to get your heads around that. Um, Ahana, will you talk us through this uh, second exception that deals with the inherent requirements of a particular position? Yeah, sure thing. Thanks, Antonia. Um, as Simon mentioned before, I think, I mean, in our view, the most relevant defence to a discrimination claim that I think employers should be aware of is the defence of um, inherent requirements. And it often arises in the context of an employee suffering like an illness or an injury. Um, inherent requirements are the essential activities that must be carried out to fulfil the purpose of the role. So for example, an inherent requirement of a delivery driver is to be able to hold a license and drive a car. Um, so it's the key and core duties and responsibilities of a particular position. And where an employee has suffered, is suffering from an illness or an injury, um, 
and the employer, I guess, terminates their employment or takes other adverse action because of that illness or injury, a relevant defense that the employer can raise is that the employee could not perform the inherent requirements of their role. Um, however, there's another sort of, I guess, added complexity to that is that the employer has to have first made reasonable adjustments um, to the employee's role in, a, in order to sort of enable them to perform the inherent requirements of the role. Um, and if then, after making reasonable adjustments, it's quite apparent that the employee can't perform the inherent requirements of their role, then the employer, I guess, can proceed with taking the adverse action, which usually what we see is dismissal um, and they can raise, if a claim is made in discrimination, they can raise the defence of inherent requirements. So I guess I'll talk a bit more about what re reasonable adjustments are, but they include things like adjustments to the workplace or like the work-related premises. So for example, um, adjusting the equipment or facilities or providing certain equipment or facilities for the employee. Um, for example, if they have like back injury, perhaps providing them with a stand-up desk, that would be a reasonable adjustment. Um, adjustments to work-related communications, including sort of the formal format in which information is provided. Adjustments to work methods, including in relation to hours of work, so you could perhaps reduce the employee's hours of work if they're suffering from an illness um, and they need to sort of work less hours. Um, there's other sort of adjustments, for example, you could provide additional training, um, and I guess provide additional sort of resources to the employee. The employer, however, doesn't have to make those reasonable adjustments if it's going to cause them unjustifiable hardship, um, which basically means, for example, um, say for example, the employer has to sort of build I guess, buy a stand-up desk and this stand-up desk is really expensive. I mean, this is probably not going <laughs> to arise, but it's really expensive and the employer does not have any funds in order to um, facilitate that. And they're probably just going to go into financial hardship as a result of facilitating the workplace adjustments. Then they can say that facilitating the workplace adjustments um, will cause them unjustifiable financial hardship. Um, and therefore they can't sort of go through with that and they have to dismiss the employee because they can't perform the inherent requirements of their role. So it's a little bit sort of complicated, again, to get your head around. Um, but basically, I guess what I always sort of advise um, our clients is that if an employer, if you're considering terminating an employee or taking some other action against that employee because of their physical or mental disability, then to avoid a contravention of the Fair Work Act or um, to have, I guess, a defence, a solid defence, if in the event an application is made, the employer should first identify the inherent and core requirements of the position. And this is usually you'd look at a position description or if you don't have one, actually identify what it is. Then you assess the employee's capacity to perform those core duties, whether they can or cannot do them. You identify whether any reasonable adjustments can be made. Um, and you actually make those adjustments or identify whether it's going to cause you too much financial hardship. And then if you do decide to sort of take any sort of adverse action, such as dismissing the employee, you do so because of the employee's inability to perform the inherent requirements of their role. So their key duties and responsibilities that, that you've identified and not because of any sort of protected attributes. So not because of the illness or injury, but because they cannot perform the key functions of their role. 
Um, and I thought I might sort of use an example, um, which might be useful, which um, has come up um, last year, where there was an employee who'd been a bar manager for over 30 years. Um, he was 84 years old and he was just sort of getting tired and um, exhausted all the time in the workplace. And he was also sort of struggling with completing his tasks. And one of which included rolling around huge barrels of beer uh, because he was a bar manager. And he actually had to take some time off work due to a rotator cuff injury. Um, and then the employer, you know, started considering terminating the employee's employment because he couldn't actually perform the key duties and responsibilities of his role. He couldn't roll around huge barrels of beer. He couldn't walk around, manage the bar. It was really tough for him to undertake the core duties um, of his role as bar manager. So in advising the employer, what we identified was that there were two key attributes that the employee possessed. One was his age, so he was 84 years old, and two was his physical um, disability, being his rotator cuff injury. Um, so the employer in that case did end up, I guess, following with the termination of his employment, but they made that decision on the basis that the employee couldn't perform the key duties of his role and not because of his injury um, or his age. And in doing so, what they did was they obtained advice from his doctor um, just to identify whether, you know, they could make any adjustments to the workplace. They got advice on whether, when he was likely to come back, um, whether he could actually perform his duties into the future. And basically the medical evidence that they received indicated that he wouldn't be able to perform the key duties of his role. So they could rely on that evidence to then dismiss the employee. And in the event, the employee did make a claim discrimination, I think, you know, the employer then would be able to raise the defence of inherent requirements that the employee could no longer perform the core duties of his role. Anything else to add? Yeah, I was just going to say, so presumably in that case, so this is a case that you were in, in, involved in, I think, Ahana. So presumably in that case, um, they looked at the reasonable adjustments and there, there weren't any that could be made. So I guess in some circumstances where you have someone who, who would be responsible for part of their duties would be moving like beer barrels, a reasonable adjustment might be getting someone else in, in the organisation to help with those um, tasks. But obviously that's not a reasonable adjustment if... if, if uh, you know, there's no one in the organisation that, that can do that. It wouldn't be reasonable to employ a new employee to help someone with the lifting tasks. But if you're in a larger bar facility where you've got lots of other people, then, then it probably would be reasonable to, to say, OK, um, you don't need to do the heavy lifting. There's someone else who can do it. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, I, I, I think that's a really um, useful um, illustration. The, the only thing I, I was, the other thing I was going to add is, uh, although the general protections provisions have this exception for um, inherent requirements, there's no discrimination where someone can't do the inherent requirements of their job. I, I think that the reasonable adjustments part comes from the Disability Discrimination Act. And as we said earlier, if, if there is a federal law which provides for um, a, an exception to discrimination, 
then the Fair Work Act is read to include that exemption as well. So I think although the, the Fair Work Act doesn't talk about general, uh, talk about reasonable adjustments, the, the Disability Discrimination Act definitely does. And that's that's why it's kind of read into that that um, that discussion, I suppose. So thank, thank you both. Um, I think it's it's really useful, Ahana, um, to have examples or sort of practical examples of how these provisions will sort of play out in practice. But I think it also exemplifies how complex um, these circumstances can be, um, and and how useful it would be to seek advice if something like this has um, come up and it, and seeking advice and making sure you're mitigating these risks will often involve not only seeking legal advice but making sure that we're, you're obtaining the correct medical advice as well so there's a lot of steps that need to be taken um, and it's important that those um, that you're making sure that you aren't um, taking any adverse action on the basis of any sort of discriminatory grounds. So I think it's, it's really important to get in touch um, with us or somebody else that can give you some advice if you are faced with these particular circumstances. So we might move on to this last exception here in respect to an employer taking action in good faith. Uh, Simon, do you wanna talk us through that one? Sure, so um, the, the last exception um, in respect of discrimination under the general protections provisions is there is no breach where action is taken against a staff member of, of an institution which is conducted in accordance with a religion or creed where the action is taken in good faith and to avoid injury to the religious susceptibilities or the uh, religious susceptibilities of adherence of that religion or creed and as you may be able to tell I was reading that out um, but what what does that actually mean I think uh, Antonia you um, you found a, an example in in the Fair Work Commission's um, guidance on this area yeah so there's a there's a case example in the general protections bench book which by the way uh, if you do want to expand your knowledge on general protections it's a very very helpful resource so there's a case example here. Um, I will just, it's, it's quite short. I'll just read it out. Um, it says, the applicant was a member of a church who was also her employer. It was a condition of her employment to remain temple worthy. The applicant was disfellowshipped from the church and terminated from her employment after it was found that she was in a relationship with a man whilst she was separated from her husband but not divorced. The church successfully argued that the decision to terminate the applicant's employment was made in good faith for the purpose of avoiding injury to the religious susceptibilities of its adherents. Yeah, so I, I guess that this is just something which is going to be re relevant for religious organisations or, 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 or the like who are, who are conducted in accordance with certain rules um, regarding the religion there is an exception where um action is taken against a staff member because they haven't for example um adhered to the religion's requirements in in terms of dress or behavior there's an exception for these religious um organizations to to have those kinds of rules in place okay so i think that's that's all all we were going to say um 
on uh, discrimination under the general protections um, provisions in the Fair, Fair Work Act. We'll just finish um, by really briefly talking about um, a, a separate um, general protection in the Fair Work Act. It, it, it should be remembered that there's a whole kind of list of general protections. It's not just workplace rights. It's not just discrimination. There's also protection for sham contracting, um, coercing people to exercise workplace rights, misrepresenting um, people or mis misleading them about their workplace rights. But there's also this other protection at Section 352 of the Work Fair Work Act, which says, um, in essence, a person cannot be dismissed by reason of temporary absence caused by illness or injury. And how that works um, in a nutshell is it is unlawful to dismiss an employee on the basis of an injury or illness unless they have had at least three months absence due to that illness or injury, either in one block or, or over a 12 month period. And, and secondly, um, that they, um, they mustn't have been on personal or carer's leave for the duration of that period, which, which in practical effect means that if someone is being dismissed on the basis of an illness or injury, they must have exhausted their personal and carer's leave so that they're no longer taking that leave and they must have had at least three months um, absence. Um, once they've once they've reached that three month mark and, and run out of personal and carers leave that doesn't automatically mean the um, uh, dismissal will be lawful um, and the employer would have to follow the um, kinds of things Ahana was talking about regarding um, the inherent requirements of the role reasonable adjustments etc and you know we've also talked about unfair dismissal in previous weeks and about the process that has to be followed regarding um dismissing someone in any event so um I, I think we'll try and wrap up um there um i think ahana has something she wants to add um before we go so ahana i'll hand back to you thanks simon i just thought i would add again um and we discussed this last week but again, in section under section 352, it says that an employer must not dismiss an employee because the employee is temporarily absent from work because of an illness or injury. So again, the use of the word because in these provisions is a central question. So the question always will be, why was the adverse action taken? And the onus will be on the employer to show that the decision to dismiss was not because the employee was on sick leave, but because of some other reason. So there must be, I guess, a causal link between the temporary absence and the dismissal. Um, and just because someone is on sick leave does not sort of preclude the employer from dismissing an employee. So if there's another valid reasons, for example, misconduct, um, then the employer can still, I guess, proceed with dismissing the employee, but you should just be aware of this protection and the Fair Work Act. Yeah, absolutely. No, really good point. I mean. As a final word on all of this, I, I hope what we've kind of demonstrated today is, is that this is a very complicated area. And we were really just talking about general protections and discrimination. There are kind of other causes of action um, that an employee might have under federal or, or state legislation. Um, 
I think hopefully what this illustrates is if you are faced with a, a decision or a, a claim or, or, or anything to do with this area, it is worth getting some advice because um, it is it is complicated, particularly if a claim is is being brought or is brought against your organisation. Um, there might well be some, um, I don't want to say loopholes, but um, there might well be some intricacies in the law which which might not be immediately obvious to you in, in looking at, at the claim or the situation you're in. So I think it is, is particularly um, important in this kind of area that, that employers do seek advice um, where appropriate. So um, thank you to everyone for um, um, joining us once again um, this week. And uh, if you do need any um, assistance, you can reach out to us at info at eilegal.com.au at any time. And thank you, Ahana and Antonia, as ever, for um, taking part. And we'll, uh, we'll speak to you all again uh, very soon. Thanks, everyone.